Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Han Hagman. Hans is a graduate of Princeton and Columbia University Law School. He has started and led organizations for underserved children in Harlem, New York, Kenya, and Lucknow, India. He is a recipient of the Robin Hood Foundation Heroes Award and the Essence Magazine Award. He is currently the executive director of the Tutwiler Community Education Center, a community and youth development organization located in the Mississippi Delta. His middle school and high school students learned the educational and healing power of nature on service trips to places like Nicaragua and Senegal, where they helped build a vegetable garden for AIDS patients. His goal is to be an ancestor worth remembering. Welcome to the podcast, Hans. Thrilled to be here, Dana. Thank you for having me. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. This may be a little (laughs) dramatic for for Mm -hmm. some of the listeners, but it was uh, several years ago when I had uh, started my independent middle school and my brother and I were in our, I guess, actually our first year there in East Harlem uh, in the community where we had grown up. And we knew that the task was going to be hard. We had to raise Mm -hmm. money. Uh, We got our initial funding from a professional gambler, half of it, and the other half from uh, JFK (laughs) Jr., uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so th- there was finding staff. Um, it was an independent school. It predated charter school legislation in New York. So it, it was all kind of a first impression. And as if the challenges of running a school from the ground up is was not hard enough, this was also the time in New York City where the crack epidemic was at its peak. And... Um, the year we started, there there were approximately uh, 2,400 homicides in New York, most of those drug-related. And the kind of community we lived in was one of the epicenters for that. And we, we had what we thought was a, a reasonable policy that we would not allow drug dealing in front of the school. Uh, apparently, that annoyed the, the the family that was actually running the traffic in the surrounding blocks. And so they took out a contract on my life and my brother's life. And, and um, there were several difficult weeks where I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go home to see my then infant daughter. Um, there were times that I would sit in the office late at night, uh, frankly, a couple of times in tears, not, you know, all I wanted to do was run a school and a few things happened. Um, one is the police department was very responsive and they offered 24 hour protection, which I declined, but they also, mm-hmm. uh, accelerated my ability to get a carry permit for a handgun, which I had, we had a school meeting. The families were, were in agreement that we needed to protect ourselves and the kids. Um, several other community people put the word out that they would look after us and, and that this could no longer go on. And then one day, one night, one evening, um, in, a, in a community that was mainly Hispanic and black, I saw a white guy at the door at the gate buzzing. And I came up to him and he said, you know, he said, what, what do you want? And he said, well, I have a delivery. He says, I, I got this package from this man. He told me to find you, Hans, and to give this to you. Okay. And what it was was a wrapped up statue of St. Michael slaying the dragon. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, and he says, I, I don't know what this means. I don't know who gave it, but this is for you. I took it. It was symbolic. I, I thought I, I, I had no idea what it was about. But several weeks later, the family that was running the drug trafficking on the block asked for a meeting um, and they asked us, what did we want? And we gave them our very simple uh, instructions. No more drug dealing in front of the block. They adhered to it. And uh, wow. we were then able to run our school very successfully in the school 32 years later. Now, my brother's still running it. Uh, but but it was up there. But I again, it was an existential point um, wh- for what I thought was a, of a very simple kind of uh, setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with um, a lot of these things just happening right outside of the school where you're trying to ki- keep kids safe. And like you said, um, you know, finding ways um, to um, know like kids were able to get the education they needed without uh, being in fear. Right. And so you found those ways. And um, and then this guy, did you ever find out why or who'd given him the statue? They <laughs> it was very, very mysterious. I attribute it to, um, you know, I <laughs> what what why, you can call it, whatever, supernatural, spiritual, sure. whatever kinds of forces. I don't think it was a coincidence. Uh, and I I I. I wish I still had that statue and uh-huh. um, it disappeared in a move. And um, but but there were there were several points along that path where I saw people, despite the fear, despite the danger. Yeah. I also saw people coming out to support and, and help us strengthen our mission. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, let's go back a little bit um, from the time that you opened this school to when you were a student yourself and. Tell me about um, who or what were your most important teachers growing up. First, first and foremost uh, were my parents, who mm-hmm. they essentially ended up working themselves to death in service to other people who who didn't necessarily. And 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 my parents came from very humble backgrounds. My mother was a a black woman from uh, Chicago. Her family had mm-hmm. come up in the northern migration from the south. Uh, one of, I think, 12 kids. My father was a white man uh, from uh, Nebraska, a farming community in Nebraska, and they met mm-hmm. together in Chicago. And we en- ended up coming east, and they, my father started a residential drug treatment center. And mm-hmm. I saw how hard he worked to 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 give people a second chance in that work, and, and I saw how hard my mother worked, and we lived in that residential drug treatment center, so it 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 wasn't like uh, a nine to five, um, mm-hmm. and so through their through their example, um, we we got to see how things work. Uh, you know, then there was there was George Mitchell, my fifth grade teacher, who um, everybody thought he was really mean, <laughs> and at times mm-hmm. I guess he was, um, but but he was somebody who was very rigorous and and demanded rigor from us in terms of at, in, in fifth grade how we thought, how we acted, um, how we moved through life. And we, we eventually, you know, I got the backstory that, that he had been um, in World War II, a fighter pilot had been shot down, captured by the Nazis, and uh, his body weight went down to 82 pounds. But he came out, obviously, and survived. And he, he had a different opinion as, as to how one should move through life and what virtues one should take. So there was that there was there was a guy named Joe D'Angelo, who I who I'm still in touch with, who was my English teacher and also my karate instructor, a very generous, tough, giving man uh, who, who showed me a lot. 
So, so my parents, uh, people like that, those, those were some of the teachers that I had growing up and, and I, others throughout my career and in college who, who I was fortunate to come across like, uh, the Dean of the Princeton Chapel, Ernest Gordon, who, mm. when I was talking with him about the then apartheid government in South Africa and the, the university's investments in them and what the appropriate response of the student body should be, um, he was very clear in his counsel as to what the right thing to do was. And, you know, learning about Dean Ernest Gordon's background, he, um, had been an atheist before joining the Scottish Highlanders during World War II. And he was captured, taken prisoner by the Japanese. And there's a movie called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. Well, he he was in the uh, prison camp uh, that was, I guess, popularized by that movie. He was left for dead, uh, but then had a, a spiritual awakening where he actually found God and uh, moved from the atheist to eventually the, the <laughs> dean of the Princeton Chapel. Um, but wow. he was also a mentor and a guide and somebody I looked to uh, during the college years, as was uh, another guy who was head of students, well, head of, head of uh, number two uh, of uh, security at Princeton, a guy named Al Terry, uh, African-American guy, former Marine, uh, who supported me throughout my four years in school in a number of ways. So those are just some of the people. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems like uh, just uh, learning that work ethic from your parents and from these teachers that you had during your school and your college education um, led you to be prepared uh, for, like you said, the trench story of opening the school and, um, you know, running it uh, from the ground up in a challenging area. So, um, yeah, it goes back to, like, the people that helped shape us. So, um, no, let's ab absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, one of your mottos. It's um, time under bliss. So um, how can somebody achieve time under bliss? There, there are a lot of ways. First, I think, um, what is it? Carl Jung, um, who I yeah. <laughs> like, the, the psychologist, um, said that the world will ask who you are. Uh, and, and if you don't know, the world mm -hmm. will tell you. And so... Some of it is taking being able to take a step back and and mm -hmm. and thinking about your your one's life purpose and yeah. and why are we here and and a lot of people never question why we're here they they'll get the credentials they'll move into the job and then they'll put their heads down and the next thing they know they they looked up and they're like what what was I doing what was this all about um so I think it's it's important to be clear about life purpose uh in order to attain bliss or joy rather than happiness, and I make that mm -hmm. distinction, um, is is to be clear about one's most important virtues. What are the or, or or what are the things that are most important to you? So for me, it's things like freedom, creativity, service. Um, those are those are some of the things that I try to move towards. The virtues that that I like to believe underpin my work and and have for for most of my professional life are things like self-mastery, wisdom, courage, and love. And so being clear about why we do what we do and why we are here to do them. And then to be even more specific, um, some people might have heard uh, the term SMART goals. Um, mm -hmm. So setting goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound. I prefer to think of, of, of goals as, as well-formed outcomes. And so you're adding some more layers on. Um, how will you know 
you've achieved that outcome? What will it look mm-hmm. like? What will it, what will you see? Who will be around you? What's the context? Um, what resources are needed? And, and is it in fact a desirable goal? What, what is it moving you towards? Um, creating, creating things like morning routines, um, not just jumping into the day because we get hijacked by, you know, things that, that appear urgent, but n- might not necessarily be important. Uh, but if we have a morning routine of movement, breath, meditation, uh, for some people, proper nutrition, but hydration, that's, that's really important. One of the things that I still work at after all these years is establishing appropriate boundaries and mm-hmm. figuring out um, not necessarily balance in my life. Cause I, I, I used to hear you have to have balance. And for some people, mm-hmm. I guess that's fine. For me, it's more about harmony in terms of balance. I don't think that if, if, if something's happening at work, that if I put more into that, that that all of a sudden detracts from, from my personal life or my home life. I like to think that those things can harmonize. And, and I, I think for the most part, uh, I've been successful in that. So thinking about life in terms of harmony or, or again, for some people, balance. The boundaries, going back to that, it's like who who's around you? Um, yeah. I can't remember who said that you're you're the 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 sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. And you, you know, thinking about who is in that circle and 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 there may be several circles. Who are those the closest people to you? Uh, why are they in your life? Uh, what are they bringing to it? What are you bringing to their life? And then there are acquaintances as, as that circle moves out. And then there's some people who have made it to, to your circle, but but why are they there? Um, and a lot of times we don't reflect on that. That kind of reflection, and as well as part of perhaps a morning practice, but should be part of a daily practice, in my opinion, is some form of a breath work or mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've done both. I'm certified in both. I've used those as tools with people that I've worked with, whether it's staff or the young people that that uh, I've chosen to work with. Staying physically active is is incredibly important. And so even if it's just a five minute mobility routine, and if you you Google five minute mobility on YouTube, mm-hmm. you'll find plenty of really good routines um, to get your body moving to get your body out of the default position that so many of us find ourselves in by being uh, in front of a desk uh, or hunched over a computer, that kind of thing is important. Fostering social connections goes back to the circle, but it also goes back to, to being able to network and establishing relationships and staying in touch with people. Again, something that I, I, I wish somebody had told me about um, earlier on. Uh, prioritizing nutrition and hydration. Most of us are dehydrated. Most of us are 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 not well nourished. We're overnourished. Um, sleep is 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 in many respects even more critical. And being able to establish a sleep routine and there are ways of 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 doing that and and that's that's important as part of our relaxation or stress reduction and 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 being in touch with our nervous system. Having hobbies, um, you know, outside of 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 work is 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 really important. And then figuring out whether it's on a monthly basis, quarterly basis. For some people, it can be even a daily basis. Figuring out if if the routines that you're engaging. Well, first of all, do you have routines? And then mm-hmm. is the, the 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 habit and practices that you're engaging in 
are they serving you? And, and then making adjustments. And then on a daily basis, um, there's the acronym WIN. And, and that's mm -hmm. what's important now because a lot of people will try to push things on, on your agenda mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily need to be there right then. So what's important mm -hmm. now and being consistent in all those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like, like you're talking about, these are many things that I hear a lot of uh, effective leaders talk about, like having these things in your life and uh, focusing on, you know, the whole person, right. Rather than just what you're doing in yes. um, your job. Right. Um, <laughs> if you don't practice these things, uh, it's a recipe for burnout. So, um, you know, right. knowing that, um, yeah, you can achieve time under bliss by doing these things. And, um, working on yourself, being that uh, person who uh, takes his time for the self-care. Um, I wanted to talk also about heart-centered leadership. Um, so uh, you talk about like the benefits of vulnerability uh, and trust in heart-centered leadership. So what's your definition of being a heart-centered leader? Being a heart-centered leader, some people will say it's 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 being empathic. I prefer to think of it as being uh, someone who who is in fact compassionate, someone mm -hmm. who who is 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 able to move from the mind into the heart, and and th there's so many connections going from the the heart and the gut to the brain uh, versus the reverse, and and a lot of people don't don't realize that, but it's. What in 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 a, in, a, in a job context, do you care about the people you are working with, managing, leading? Do you care about yeah. them personally, and and being able to show that, and at the same time, being able to to challenge them when things are not going well, to have those kinds of honest conversations. And if you're not willing to have those honest conversations, then you're more manipulative than, and you're either uncaring or you're manipulative. Yeah. But if you combine the two in terms of showing compassion and 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 understanding and curiosity about people's personal individual lives and existences, and then also being able to directly challenge them when things aren't working the way they're supposed to be working, I think that shows that's an extension of that additional care that's important in being a heart-centered leader. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, um, showing that you care not only like being somebody who is um, taking care of their staff by maybe, you know, doing um, donuts every Friday or something, but really having those personal conversations with staff members. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, principals at middle and high schools, they feel like, you know, we have 90 to 130 staff members. Um, but I think you can also delegate that amongst your admin team and um, really show like you, you uh, Staff is your priority because that trickles down to the students. And, and the message, the message needs to be the deliberate and 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 stated mm -hmm. and and not just assumed. Um, but yes, also through through one's actions, um, people will be able to pick that up. And you you can make it a priority in in a leadership position. Uh, and, and in fact, you know it, whether it's a school or even in a, in a um, a startup tech company. Um, the, the value of it, of most tech companies is is a direct reflection of the 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 founders' personal development, and and the yeah. more personally developed and emotionally intelligent the founder is, the higher the value of that startup company will be, and and the more resilient it will be. And the same thing will hold true in 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 the in the halls of a school. Mm -hmm, mm 
Yeah, I like that analogy. Um, Because, you know, you see a lot of those tech companies that don't last, and it's uh, also often due to poor leadership. Um, So I thought it was interesting, like, when we're talking about your story of working in New York, and uh, now you're in the Mississippi Delta. So how did uh, somebody who grew up and worked for a period of time in Harlem end up where you're at now? Tell me about that story of getting to um, the space that you're in, uh, working with these youngsters and um, helping them on ser- in service trip. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, well, I, I also uh, in the Mississippi Delta, I'm working with older people or well, they, they say they're senior citizens, older people. I just got my uh, Medicare card last week, so I get to hold that up whenever I have those discussions, those tar- hard discussions. But so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, in post-traumatic growth. And, you know, I, I also have, have been taught directly or otherwise that you, you only fail when you stop trying and... Mm-hmm. Um, my being in the Mississippi, I never, I never, and I think I've, I've actually had conversations with myself saying, and, and probably with other people, the last place I would ever move to would be the state of Mississippi, much less the Mississippi Delta. Uh However, um, in February, 2022, there was a knock on my door at about seven in the morning as I was drinking my coffee, getting ready to start my day. And some heavy set guy with tattoos was there, and he I said, "Can I help you?" He says, "I got it. I got. I got a delivery for you." And um, I opened the door, and he handed it to me. He says, "Don't get mad. It's just my job." And I, apparently, my well, what happened was my wife had filed for a divorce um, after okay. twenty plus years, and so the way I work, and I, I know it's not for everybody, but the way I'd been taught to work was that you then ask yourself, "So, so now what?" And yeah. um, what what are you you know making lemonade out of lemons and all that kind of thing but that that's mm-hmm. how my mind has been trained to work and so i put it out and i maybe not religious but spiritual my father was a methodist minister but i think i'm more spiritual than religious i asked the universe and god for for what needed to be my next steps and i looked at a few things i was um a finalist for a position uh, to run a school in colorado um, and, but they chose somebody 20 years younger who had a, uh, all kinds of credentials, uh, from the state of Colorado. And, and so I get it that, but I was one of two in the national search for that position. And so then I said, let me take a step back. Um, uh, and, and, and maybe, and I don't even know what search because the, the place that I, this, that where I've now ended up, I don't think they did a national search. So I don't know how it came across my radar, but, uh, the Tutwiler community education center, was started by some nuns who, mm-hmm. a, a, one nun who was had been unable to walk, I think because of rheumatoid arthritis or something, but she was wheelchair bound un, until she found, um, I think the, 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 the father of American, um, not orthopedics, but um, not chiropractic, um, I'm blanking on the, the medical term, um, but, but he essentially cured her and she was able to walk, um, osteopathy actually. And uh, uh, John Upledger, I think was his name. And she decided that she, at the age of 40-something, was going to go to medical school so that she could create that kind of miracle in other people's lives. 
So she did that. She had become a nun, went to medical school, and then wrote to what she, through her research, found were the poorest communities in the United States. And only one answered. And that was the mayor of Tutwiler, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta. So she came down there, started a medical clinic. Eventually, a couple of other nuns joined her, and they started this community center that I now run. Uh, in 1992, 60 Minutes, the news show did a story on them, uh, which got them a lot of funding to build the, the current facility that, that I work in and run. And um, the nuns eventually retired, died, moved on. And the center had fallen on some hard times and they were looking for a new executive director and their search. The, the candidates that they had were all from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, again, I don't know how they found me. I don't know how I found them. Um, but I eventually got offered the position. I've been down here for four months now and I work with youth. Uh, I'm, collaborating to the best of my ability with schools. I mean, this is a place where in Mississippi, which has is recognized as having the, the probably the, the poorest school system, um, least effective school system in in, in this in the country. Um, the schools in the schools that I work with in Mississippi are rated D and F by Mississippi. Okay. So that says something there. Um, the poverty rate in, in the United States is roughly 12 percent in the areas I work in. It's three to four times that. Um, it's got the shortest lifespan in the United States, um, least educated population and on and on and on. And so I work with young people to, to who nobody's taught them to dream. Um, when, when agriculture became mechanized, a lot of jobs left, um, kids decide that the big time for them is to go to a place like Memphis and, and, and work in a fast food restaurant or, um, uh, an Amazon warehouse and just to get away from, from Tutwiler where, where I work. So my, my goal is, is, is to help these kids learn how to dream, uh, understanding that, you know what, you're young, you may want to go to the big city, but Tutwiler will eventually become a place where they'll want to come back to, to raise families, to have a quieter, um, style of life, to, to celebrate what is in fact, uh, known as the home of the blues. And so, there are a lot of challenges involved in that, but it feels like everything I've done to this point has kind of led me to this time in my life, to this place. Uh, I really enjoy being here. The people are kind. Um, I, I think they're curious. Uh, they want to see if this thing is going to happen. And, and they also know that if the center, if I'm not successful and the center is not successful, that it's 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 going to be a short period of time before the town dies. So there are a lot of small towns in the Mississippi Delta that are that are on the verge of 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 collapse or disintegration. And so I'm hoping that Tutwiler can be a shining example of of what's possible when people work together in community. So we've got a lot of projects, uh, things with drones, community vegetable gardens, some other things in the works um, okay. that we're trying to do with young people. And and we're we're looking forward to collaborating with. Uh, the school system and the local leaders. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of things planned and um, you're kind of in that process of seeing what works and, um, you know, getting um, interest in, um, you know, maybe more funding, like you said, uh, because, you know, the more interest, uh, the more students who are involved and more community members who are donating, um, the more likely it is to succeed. So, I wish you the best. And like you said, I think, right. yeah, you're, you hit it on the nail that you are um, 
probably prepared all these positions that you've had in the past and growing up and the students you worked with in New York City uh, prepared you for this job. And it's just kind of those things that come across, right? You, you don't know how they found you. Absolutely. You found <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, emotional intelligence. Um, that's something that we speak a lot about in terms of, um, you know, hiring staff, um, maybe conflicts um, with colleagues. Uh, but how is uh, emotional intelligence important when you're leading teams and you're driving success? Uh, and fostering a positive work environment, kind of um, in your current um, context. Uh, how, how is emotional intelligence your driver? Well, part of the thing that I've tried to do here is, is get everybody centered around a, a central, important, common vision that we all want to work towards. And then it's also modeling uh, appropriate communication. And some of it goes back to, to being able to be candid while at the same time be caring. And in, 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 in the setting that I'm in, and also settings I've worked in and with, with boards of directors and so forth, uh, there's often, and I, you know, I, I, I am reluctant to use some of the terms that now get thrown around, but sometimes they're appropriate, um, patriarchal systems that, that, um, you know, foster this, this top down, uh, method of, of leadership where voices, all voices are not respected. And, and there, there, there are situations and there are times where there has to be one voice that makes a final decision. But mm -hmm. up until that point, um, the ability to, to honor and respect and, and, and give people the confidence that their voice and opinion and feelings um, on the matter are in fact respected, that they in fact will be heard. And, and, looking at different decision-making models. And so sometimes people want to do consensus or, or, or some other things. It's being flexible in terms of, of, of how things um, get decided. I've used um, restorative circle work um, in, 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 in different settings um, where, where again, people are visibly um, able to see that, everyone's voice is in fact being respected where everybody does get a turn to, to, to voice their opinions. I, I was, you know, in a small piece, I, I, with my administrative coordinator uh, and another staff person uh, there's, there's something I'm trying to get done, a, a delivery of a significant piece of equipment and the administrative coordinator was supposed to follow up on it. She hadn't. And um we 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 needed to work through that at a much slower pace than i than a lot of people would otherwise have worked through it only to let her know that the conversation was going to be respectful that we did have an mm -hmm. important outcome figure out that the outcome was not important just for me as the boss but for her as well and for the overall good of the organization um and then it, it, the, the the conversation was tense, and and she admitted that she felt tension during the conversation. But she also said it's because in the past I didn't know if there was going to be some form of verbal punishment or whatever else. And when that didn't happen, I realized we were just having a hard conversation. So mm -hmm. it's the it, it, trust is a big part of that. Yeah. So if people have a, a bigger vision. If people are able to trust one another, if people have a common vocabulary, uh, and and if if the people who are managing or leading are are willing to try different things, 
to to achieve that that vision um i think a lot of good things can happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those things like you're talking about restorative circles, um, giving people um, a turn to um, try those decision-making models, a lot of those things go a long way in schools of any size. And I think like really having that empathy for those people you're working with, um, you know, and respecting um, their needs and wants. Um, you might not be able to please everybody, right? But um, yeah, in instilling that culture of trust um, is very important. Um, out of everything we talked about in terms of uh, your uh, background, your uh, people that you've learned from along the way, um, and your trench story in opening the school uh, those many years ago, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? My goal, and it's in my email signature, is to, and I, I use I use two different versions, is to become an ancestor worth claiming or to become an ancestor mm -hmm. worth remembering. And perhaps it's because I've gotten to the age that I've gotten to yeah. that it's become just that simple for me. But 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 having th that phrase as kind of my North Star mm -hmm. uh, and and I would suggest that other people might want to try it regardless of whatever age they are um, help, helps to guide a, a lot of my decisions. But also I would ask that if if people just thought about the concept of being grounded in all your actions in wisdom, self-mastery, courage, and love, mm -hmm. a lot of the other things will get taken care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, and to think about like that ancestor piece, like how what are you leaving for future generations? Where can people connect with you and find you online? I, I'd love for people to go to my uh, organization's uh, homepage for one thing, and that's... Um, uh, Tutwiler Community Education Center dot org, and um, there's there's also a little booklet that I have if people would want on on resilience because the resilience and resiliency is 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 in, uh, something that's incredibly important and something that I work with all of my students, including kids who I've worked with in a maximum security prison where I taught vegetable gardening and breathwork. Um, I also taught them about resilience, and so if people were to go to coachhans.ck.page. So C O A C H H A N S dot C K dot page. There's a there's a booklet that they can get on 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 resilience and some of the lessons I've learned there. Um, but but you know start first at at, at the, my organization's website. I I'm amazed at the number of people who have not known anything about the Mississippi Delta or some mm -hmm. of the good work that's happening down here. And so um, this would be a way to to get them started. Great, great. Well, and you're also on social media as well. Uh, where can people find you on social media? On Twitter, I'm at Hans Hageman. Uh, on Instagram, uh, my my whatever it's called is is Ronin for Life, R O I N for Life, uh, and Facebook under my name. Um, and also the uh, the Wilder Community Education Center has uh, a Facebook page as well. And I think I think I got all of them. Uh, and LinkedIn, again, under my name, Hans Hageman. Great, great. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today and learning about your trench story and what you've done throughout your career to make a difference in the lives of young people and people who've gone through trauma and have hardships in life to make things better for them. Thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Dana. Appreciate it.
My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Mm-hmm.